you know, you want to be the person that says yes. Yeah. You know, there's nothing more satisfying than you come into the room and you, you know, do your scene and then I go, you know what, can we just try something? Like, can we just, let's, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. let's just play. That's what I say. Let us, let's play. And so don't you love the actor that's like, yeah, let's try it. That's the person you want to work with. You know, when you get to somebody and you say, okay, so this is the direction I go, oh, well, I made this choice because of this. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, I've moved on. Come with me. Welcome to Mentors on the Mic. I'm your host, Michelle Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in film, television, off-Broadway, and commercials. Every Monday, I'll bring you an incredible mentor in the entertainment industry, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. Thanks for listening, and let the episode begin. My mentor for you this week is phenomenal. I'm biased and I'll explain why. So Kim Graham is a casting associate for the Emmy Award winning casting office of Judy Henderson Casting. So Kim Graham has cast most notably Showtime's critically acclaimed award winning Homeland. Uh, She has done pilots, independent films, commercials, voiceover for for video games and theater, you know, incredible theater. And she's just cast all of it. And I personally love her for many reasons. One, she's one of the first casting uh, associates that I took workshops and classes with years ago when I graduated from, from college. And I felt so blown away by how much I was learning about the audition experience from her. You know, it's different, you know, auditioning for television for, for television and for film and for commercials than it was auditioning for student films and low-budget films and, stu- you know, student theater. It was a different ballgame. And she really sort of led the charge on that. And I took a couple classes with her early on, you know, stayed in touch. I, I was a reader in her office many times. And finally, and I, and I came in for a few different roles and she was always really just phenomenal and lovely and easy to, to go in front of. And one of my credits is Homeland. I booked a co-star on Homeland and uh, Kim cast me in it. And I still remember coming in and giving her like, uh, like a gift as like a thank you. And she was like, don't give me a gift. Don't do it. Um, but I was just so grateful because I love Hol- Homeland. It was one of my favorite shows. I used to watch it all the time with my mom. It's based on an Israeli show. And it just meant so much to me to get that one. And uh, she's just done so much, guys. And this episode's phenomenal. I mean, she has toured opera for many, many years before going into casting. So she does understand the audition process. She's competed as an opera singer. And she just has amazing stories, just, you know, all about Homeland and how storylines shifted. She's great advice for actors. At the end, we really start to ask questions that I got from you guys on social media and uh, how to approach co-stars for as big roles, advice on how to slate, what advice you would tell her younger self about auditioning. And what's really cool is that next week, I have an incredible agent who's going to be our mentor. I'll give you guys a little tease now. And this agent has a direct, like very close affiliation, which I had no idea about with Kim. So it was really nice, especially to get this. And then next week, you're going to get 
you're going to refer back to this episode. So definitely look out for that one. If you haven't yet, please subscribe and please review and please, especially on Apple Podcasts, and follow me on Instagram at Michelle Simone Miller and at Mentors on the Mic. And without further ado, welcome Kim Graham. Hi, Kim. How are you? How are you? I'm good. I'd take a drink of your water. I am so excited for you to be on this. You're one of my favorite people in casting. It's like I just remember very like specifically taking classes with you and feeling like, oh, I, you know, there's so much I'm getting from this. And this is like a someone in casting who like understands actors and really knows how to communicate with them. So I always recommend your class to anyone who asks me, someone you know, a class or workshop you recommend, I always recommend you. And I also bring up lessons, which I might bring up um, during this interview. Thank you. I have tremendous love and respect for you. And, And I've always wanted to sort of be able to sit down in general and ask you questions. But my first question is always, how did you start in this industry of ours? Well, I, it wasn't something that I sought out. It was something that was suggested to me. I had a career before that in opera and I had taken a break from it and knew I would make my way to New York at some point. And so I got here and got a job, you know, waiting tables and sort of, you know, realizing that opera wasn't calling me back. And, uh, but I know, (laughs) I knew that, uh, waiting tables was not going to be my last stop. Um, so a friend of mine that I was working with suggested, you know, she was, you might be really good at casting. And, uh, she gave me the name of some offices and I, you know, applied, I had an opportunity to collect unemployment so I could really jump in with two feet full time and feel it out. And, uh, Judy Henderson brought me into internship and, uh, how's that like, like what, what was it like as an intern for her? Oh, you know, I mean, you're answering the phones, you're, you know, putting out appointments. Um, It's very much an assistant job, I would say. I mean, I wasn't running out fetching coffee. So, and and you're in, you know, you're in a tiny office. So you're really like, you're hearing everything. You're hearing how she's dealing with agents and managers and, you know, all all the stuff if, you know, if you choose to pay attention to all that. So I just, yeah, I just jumped in. I was like, let me feel this out and see if this is something I'm interested in. And, um, her associate at the time and I had become friendly and she was getting ready to go to another office and she called me up. She was like, you know, I want to recommend you for my job. And I was like, I've only been here two weeks. Like there's no way this woman's going to give me an associate position, you know? Wow. And, but you know, she did and it kind of surprised me, but I, I just remember thinking, just say yes. There's a reason this is happening you know, I had an idea, like, maybe I'll stay here for a couple months. I might go to another office for, you know, feel it out, get some other perspectives. And it just, I don't know, sometimes you just got to go with your gut. And I just was like, just do it. And, you know, that was in 2003. Wow. So yeah, I jumped in really quickly. I didn't go the the sort of traditional route. Yeah. Two weeks as an intern seems really fast. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I was also, you know, I was old. I was, you know, I was in my mid-30s when I you know, I, I got in with her and I just thought, well, be a sponge and just learn everything. You'll figure it out. Yep. Um, and she really took me under her wing. Taught so me everything I know. prior to that, cause we're going to, we're going to get back to this, you know, going from intern, but just, can you talk a little bit about your opera, your opera experience? Cause that was the majority of your twenties and yep, you started 20%. that. Yeah. And you went to school for that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so how was that? Cause that was a lot of touring and stuff and 
It was, it was. I, you know, I was always very musical. I mean, I started playing organ at age four. Wow. And worked my way through flute, clarinet, drums, piano. And then I got into high school and I was like, well, I like music, but I don't really want to play in the band anymore. Maybe I'll do the choir. And then started singing, did, you know, my musicals. And I was just like, oh, I love this. And then I started voice lessons at 16 and my teacher, you know, brought me through. I graduated high school. I didn't have any plans to go to college. You know, my parents were pretty much like, we don't have the money. So when you graduate, get a job. So I did. And, but I was still taking lessons. I was still doing community theater and my voice teacher was really developing the classical side of my voice. And, you know, one day he was just like, what are we doing? And I was like, I don't know, <laughs> taking my lessons. You know? <laughs> and he's like, why don't you try to go to school for this? And I, I said, oh, I don't, I don't have any money. And he said, they have scholarships, you know, you, you figure it out. So he really guided me and took me, um, you know, gave me some places to apply for. And I auditioned and I ended up choosing to um, live at my parents' house and commute to the University of Hartford, the Hart School of Music, where I got a scholarship. And he had told me, listen, you know, take the classical singing route because you'll learn a very good technique and you'll be able to sing everything. Mm. And so I just kind of, honestly, I fell into it. Like, I wasn't like, oh, I want to sing opera. It's just everybody kept pushing me that way and I could do it. So I did it. And then afterwards, I, you know, I started getting jobs and, you know, doing apprenticeships and all over you know, the States, but I, I just got to the, you know, I remember I was working with a woman, um, Diana Soviero in Miami. We were, she was giving me a lesson and she was like, she was like the poor man's Maria Callas, if anybody knows anything about opera. And she had said to me, she's like, we do this because we have to. And I, I remember just standing there going, I'm, I don't, I don't feel that was really opening for me. You know, I just sort of fell into this track, but I didn't really think about, do I want to keep doing this? The real, the final straw was me. Um, I was in Chicago. I was a finalist for the Chicago Lyric Opera for their program. And I was sitting in a hotel room one night, you know, just like being, feeling lonely, missing my friends. I feel like I didn't have a home. I was bouncing around. And I thought, well, let me, let me just go back to Connecticut to my parents. Let me regroup you know, and I think it was then when it didn't call me back that, mm. you know, I just sort of went in another direction. So that's how it, that's how it happened in a nutshell. Well, it's interesting you say that because I think you'd probably relate to actors very well then because actors get told that all the time, only do it if you absolutely have to, or you need to, you know, and I feel like that comes from, I remember, I mean, there were multiple people growing up that I would meet or my mom would meet and that was their advice. They're like, don't do it unless you absolutely have to because being an actor is insane. Well, you know, you have to understand too, like, you know, when the theater bug bit me in high school, it was such a great outlet for me. And so I needed it in my life then. But, you know, I, I think when I look back, you know, I was very much as a young person, uh, like, just tell me what to do. Hmm. you know, just tell me what I should be doing. And I did it, you know, and I never really thought about my own dreams, my own goals. You know, it was just, I guess, coming from an Irish Catholic family, you know, my parents were working class. So it was just very much like, you know, get a job, get married, have a family, right. you know, that was just sort of the expectations. So I never really thought big, you know what I mean? And then I was sort of in this world going, 
is this where I want to be? You know, do I see myself working this hard long term? And, you know, to be fair, it came pretty easy to me. So I didn't get a whole lot of challenges with it. Um, so I kind of skated through a little bit. Yeah. But there's um, something to be said about that too, because on the flip side, you know, on one hand, I totally understand why like people who are artists and actors and singers, you know, have, you know, do it because they have to, but at the same time, there's something that come that there's an energy that happens when I think you have to do anything that takes away from the performance or your ability to like maybe perform at a certain level. So maybe it helped you in some ways that you didn't feel like you needed to or had to do it. No, I, I think what happened was when I sort of got into that burnout stage yeah. and then I took that break, one of the things I discovered was like, wow, I don't really have that personal need to be on the stage anymore. You know got what I mean? It. it didn't, it, 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 it kind of served its purpose for me when I was younger. And then I was yeah. like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't have to be there, you know, in the yeah. front, but I, uh, but I knew that I, I was a creative person. Um, you know, music was, you know, so much of my life that I wanted to do something in the creative industry, whatever it was. And, you know, it doesn't feel like a natural segue to go from singing opera to casting, you know, but in some ways I, it really prepared me because I used to audition. Um, I was a competitive singer as well. Um, You know, I, I just, it was amazing how much of what I, you know, learned in my training and opera and whatnot that I brought into what I do today. I didn't, you know, I thought, oh, that's that and this is this, but I did really draw a lot from that experience. And so I think that really helped me ultimately ease into this, um, this new career in entertainment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, even my 18 plus on and off years waiting tables, I pull a lot from that experience. You know, I thought, well, you know, it got me through high school and college and whatever. But I realized like, wow, you know, because for what we do as CDs, we have to be good multitaskers. We're dealing with all kinds of personalities. So you have to be able to like, yeah, and know what your client wants. And you know what I mean? And read people well, read people, you know, all the things. So you know, I'm really grateful, like in some weird way, it kind of set me up for this. At what age then did you transition from opera or was it like a longer transition from opera to casting? Was it like a, you know, period of time where you well, were just like, a couple years? Yeah. Yeah. A couple, I mean, I moved to New York. I got engaged. Oh, wow. Disengaged. <laughs> yeah. I had like a little crisis. Well, because I was leaving the thing I knew. Yeah. No, it's um, a huge transition. Trying to figure out what the hell, who the hell am I? What's my purpose? Blah, blah, blah. And this um, was late twenties, early thirties or? This was, um, early thirties. Yeah. And then, so I, I got into casting at 35. Yeah. That's awesome. I love yeah. that. Cause you know, I mean, a lot of what this audience is, it's not just people who are actors who are starting out in whatever field in entertainment, but it's also for people who want to maybe pivot, who've been doing something for a while and then are like, well, what else can I do? Like, what well, are my opportunities? I mean, there is that fear as you get older, you're like, I'm not investable anymore. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm not an investment to people, like who is going to take a chance on me? And right. like, so, you know, here again, I just went on my gut and I thought there's a reason this is happening. Just do it. Yeah. And you'll figure it out. And, you know, I just, I committed to it and, you know, I fell in love with it and I love working with actors and I love thinking about who I see in a role and 
the craft, all that stuff. Just great. Yeah. So, so yeah, so you started off as an intern, was only an intern for a couple of weeks, which is very <laughs> impressive. Um, you went into an associate position. And then what were like the first couple of things that you remember casting there that you were working on? Well, when I started, Judy and I mostly, you know, our bread and butter was mostly commercials uh, with a sprinkling of theater um, and independent film. We did... Um, uh, voiceovers for the video games and motion capture for, you know, Grand Theft Autos, Neverwinter Nights, Atari's comeback game. What are those auditions like? Well, you know, we always approached it like we were casting a film. Like it was never about voice first. Mm. It was like who can capture the essence of the character. Um, they were a little hectic because in the video game world, especially interactive, you know, these, they were writing these scripts as we were going. So it was, it was, it was a little um, hectic, I guess. Um, Cause every, you know, other day they'd be adding a new character and yeah, I, it was. And, and of course I didn't even know what game we were working on because we were working under the title pedestrians. So I didn't, we figured it was a, a GTA, but you know, it wasn't, they weren't going to tell us. So yeah. What's um, GTA? Grand Theft, Grand Theft Auto. Auto. Sorry, sorry. As soon as I asked, I was like, you don't know the limbo girl? It's there. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, what about like commercials and stuff? How do you feel like those auditions were? I mean, you do commercials every once in a while, I feel like now, no, but not as often. Not as often. You know, when, when the recession hit in 2008, a lot of stuff was going to non-union. And we just, you know, we never worked non-union, so we would turn a lot of those jobs down. But then it got to the point where it was like, that was all that was coming to us. We're like, all right. But, you know, we, we made a decision after doing a few of them that it just, it, it was difficult because they were really penny pinching. So like, let's say the same spec under a SAG-AFTRA contract, you know, would afford us, you know, two prep days, three casts and a callback. They wanted the same work done in two days. And, and for like way less money. Right. Yeah. It just was the same amount of work they wanted done in two days as opposed to five days. You know what I mean? And, you know, for way less money, you know, and it became this bidding war. It was kind of, <laughs> I would say it was kind of like prices, right? Like they would be, you know, cause in, in commercial, we, we had our, you know, our standard fee. This is how much we charge for a prep day. This is how much we charge for a cast day. And then, you know, I'm just throwing this out there, but let's say you're like, um, our fees a thousand dollars for you know a prep day, or they say, oh really? Because so and so is going to do it for hundred. Mm. Yeah. So what do you do? You know, you're like, well, I don't want to lose the job, right? So then you were taking, but then we, I don't know. I think we just got to the point where we're like, Mm-mm. you know, we just have to walk away from this. And at the time, a lot of the producers that we worked with, you know, at the ad agencies had left, you know, so right. our contacts kind of died out. But you know what? It was okay because we were doing more independent film. We were doing theater. Um, and then we, you know, eventually segued into television. So there was a reason, you know, I feel yeah. like the reason why that left us. It was time to do something new and that's what yeah. happened. Do you have a medium that you prefer casting or not really? Or like a couple? I, you know, my head has been in television for the last yeah. few years. Um, 
I like them all for different reasons. I mean, every approach is different. Um, every challenge is different. I mean, looking back, commercials didn't excite me. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a fan of working on pilots. Hmm. Uh, just because it's the way it's set up, it's just like 10 weeks of chaos. Everybody's just making lists and checking avails and then rechecking avails because, you know, somebody got, it's like hitting a pinata and all the actors fly out and everybody's like, I want this one. I want this, you know, yeah. make you see the world. And then they end up turning around offering it to somebody and you're like, so why did I, you know, Yeah. I think maintaining a series, working with the same team and, you know, really being a collaboration just yeah. feels more satisfying to me. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, and you can totally say we're not going to talk about it, but I, I always remembered a story where like you were asked, you guys were asked to consult on a pilot, which later became Blue Bloods. Yeah. And we don't have to go into it too much, well, but no, I very we, much remember you were like, you know, very frustrated about that. Well, we, you know, what, what it was, was we, you know, they were interviewing a bunch of different offices. We had the feeling we were they had probably already made up their mind who they were going to work with. So it, was, it felt like more of a courtesy meeting. Mm-hmm. But what I found interesting um, was they were, you know, describing the show and they were like, you know, three generations of, you know, New York police. And, you know, there's the grandfather, the father and the son. And they were saying, you know, the father's really going to be like the central character. Um, and we see him as, you know, a little older, uh, handsome, virile, you know, and I just said, oh, like a Tom Hanks. Wait, Tom Hanks? Oh, Tom, Tom Selleck. I'm sorry. Did I say that? <laughs> yes, I was like, I was like did you switch your mind? Because I remember the story no. differently now. Oh, my gosh. No, not Tom Hanks, guys. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> Tom Selleck. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. And I said, my only thing is he never, he doesn't feel New York to me because I knew him years ago with Magnum P.I. and Yeah. You know, he's felt very sort of more L.A. They were like, yeah, you know, like that. And yeah, so anyway, forgot about it, you know, moving on. And then I see, you know, the advertisement for Blue Bloods starting to look. And I just, I'm not saying like, oh, idea, but it was just like, oh, shit. All right. Well, you know, whatever. But I also think it comes, I mean, it was interesting and stood out to me for a couple of reasons, but also one being like, it shows a lot about your instincts. Like, and which I think is important for like a casting director for you to be like, hey, right away, this comes to mind. And other people were like, yes, that's that's who the person who I'm thinking of is without saying it. So, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, 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 I mean, obviously he's got a body of work we can refer to. Like you hear his voice, you hear, you know, you see his mannerisms, you see his, you know, you feel how he would sit in the role. You know, those are all the... I'm not a big fan of stunt casting or, you know, or you look like a, yeah, a pilot, you know, that there's yeah. much more involved. It's that actor sensibilities and their range, their craft, you know, all, all the things. Yeah. How many meetings do you take though, that are like that, that are like, not maybe courtesy meetings, obviously, but just how is it to meet a group of people, clients, potential clients, and have that initial meeting where you're just kind of selling yourself but also being like this is this is who i'd think for a role or let me get an idea for what your show is how often do you get meetings like that yeah well i mean i would say for us by the time people reach out to us for for us to cast their film or whatever they've sort of selected us you know so it's really just about getting together and like giving their vision of how they see this and us being like you know, yeah, we can, 
you know, we get a sense of them. That was honestly, maybe because it's television, but that was the only time interviewing for a television show. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, we're like one of many offices being interviewed. Right. I, you know. Interesting. Yeah. I, so it's not the norm. I don't know what the norm is. That's right. <laughs> I just know what I know. So you went from, so you, so you started doing commercials that kind of really more, especially around the recession led to just more theater, more, you know, film. When did it start changing from that? Like, when did it start going into, like, when did Homeland kick in? And how was that early process like? So we had a few months, I think it was 2009, where we just barely had any work. Yeah. And I remember it was after Christmas break, which normally industry shuts down for. I came back in the office and Judy had pulled me aside and she was like in tears and she's like, I can't afford to pay you anymore. We just don't have the work. And I was like, you know what? I understand. Can I continue to teach? You know, she's like, of course, mi casa es su casa, you know? And she's like, and, and the minute I get any work back in, you know, I'm bringing you back. And so that's kind of what happened. Like, you know, there's some months uh, that I just was teaching and waiting for the recession to end. And, and she called me and she said, um, you know, we possibly are going to get this show from Showtime. And, you know, are you on board? And I was like, sure. And, um, and then Homeland came. Which, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so fantastic. Was so how, how, are the, how was that initial, like, first few casting sessions or talks or conversations? Well, it's so weird because, you know, our creatives are in L.A., right? Like, everybody's kind of working remotely. It was a good, smart team. And I know that our showrunner was very much... Like when he, he, like he's very much into theater actors. So we knew he would respond a lot to, to that as opposed to sort of stunt casting or getting a face who can speak. God, it's so long ago, Michelle. I was like, <laughs> 2010. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so like a couple of them, I assume were already cast, right? Or were cast just based on talks or no? Or was it all well, like we, the first few were offers? The, the pilot was shot. We didn't do the pilot. Got it. So, you know, and that happens a lot. Everybody will, you know, cast pilots, but then if the series gets picked up, you know, there's other considerations. You don't always necessarily go to the person that did the pilot. You know, they may be working on other things or due to location, they might want to find somebody in New York or, or you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the decision was made with Homeland that they were going to be shooting the first couple seasons in North Carolina, and it felt like it made more sense to cast out of New York. Interesting. So that's how they came to us. So yeah, like it's just, it's, it's not been the traditional route of most television shows because we were shooting always on a location. You know, it, it would depend if we saw people in the room or we had them self-taped. So, you know, I tell everybody, I was like, I was doing self-tapes before they were in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would show me things that were like, especially when it was Germany and stuff, where it was like you guys were filming in Germany. I'd be like, God, you guys are getting self tapes from everywhere at that point. Everywhere. I mean, it was such a net network for for all over the world because we we worked in tandem with casting offices in London, in Germany, right? Um, L.A. I'm sure L.A. too, or no? You know, less with L.A. We yeah. we were able to cover Somewhere. L.A. And New York, you know, but I, when we were going to Europe or something, I mean, I remember. The German office covered mostly local German actors. Makes sense. But like, let's say I needed, you know, an American-speaking 
you know, character. Uh, they would try to, um, we try to find it from Europe first right. or London just because of the budget, you know, yeah, you don't want to like send everybody from New York. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, so I was now dealing with more London. Um, and that was kind of interesting for me because that was a, that was, that's not a market I'm comfortable with or at the time. So I, you know, we were still like, what agencies are like the ones you go to for this and this, yeah. you know, and, so, I mean, it was a little bumpy at the, at the beginning, but then we sort of figured out, oh, okay, these are, these guys got the creme de la creme and these guys yeah. are great for the, you know, the co-stars and, right. and whatnot. So, you know, but it's always a learning experience. Yeah. Well, what, what, do you have a favorite season or not really? Or a favorite season to cast? It doesn't mean that was their favorite season in general. That's well, fine. Because no, they were all so interesting. They were also interesting in a way. Um, and we've talked about this. Homeland's one of those shows, which was really great, that really paralleled what was going on in real life. Well, definitely after the first couple seasons. Yes. So, That's you know, true. They, they kind of had their storyline, you know, with Brody. Brody for the first um, two, right? Yeah. And then it was sort of like, okay, where do we go from here? And our team started meeting in the spring for five days in Georgetown with former... Uh, government officials and CIA and basically asking them the question, what keeps you up at night? That'll do it. And so, you know, I would always kind of go into each season being like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why we're talking about this. Yeah. And I think the time it really freaked me out was in July of 2016. um, I was reading a script about bots in social media. Right. How they were influencing people and you know not nobody knew about the russian bots until november of 2016 and i was like what so i felt like every script after that i'd read it i'd be like no way is that gonna really happen you know like yes like even even this last season you know the first script i get i gotta find people that speak pashto right i'm like what the hell's pashto and they're like tribal language of the Taliban. And I'm like, oh, great. Let oh. me just put my file. Right? Yeah, that's easy. That's easy to get. <laughs> you know how many Taliban actors are out there? Right. So, it, you know, so I was just, but I kept thinking like, all right, this is interesting. It's our last season. I wonder why we're talking about mm. the Taliban. Because we really, I don't know. I, I follow the news, but I don't. Yeah, it hadn't come up in a while, thankfully. It hadn't come up in a while, but I thought, I don't know. Maybe they just decided we'll wrap it up this way. Right. Well, when we premiered, in February this year, at the same time, there was news about Taliban negotiations. Right. And I was like, oh my God, that's part of our storyline about yeah. trying to negotiate with the Taliban. Well, you know, the bots thing is interesting because I don't remember, I don't know if you remember the episode you cast me in, right? Which was the yes. office worker dealing with bots. Like we yep. made fake social media profiles. And so I remember I got that, filmed it, it was great. And then later, I think I was a reader for you and we talked about that. And we were just like, it, it was a little strange that that came up in the news. Really. Well, imagine, imagine, you know, at this point, you know, the writers are in the room a few months before we start casting. Okay, so they they've been thinking about this before we even hit that script. And then it doesn't even get shown 
till so like times months, months and months later. Yeah. Like for instance, the Taliban thing, we went on, we went on season eight. Hold on a second. My brain in December of 2018. Mm-hmm. So imagine probably in the fall. Yeah. They were thinking about the Taliban, which means in the spring of 2018. Yeah. They had already met with CIA. Right. And so fast forward February 2020, it's still relevant. Yeah. It's even more relevant because it's now in the mainstream media. Now people really like it's in the zeitgeist of the country. It's but I mean, that's strange. Like, that's like how much foreshadowing they have. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, There's not many shows like that. I mean, I know Simpsons always gets like a huge thing because they like predict a lot of stuff and for, you know, some things. Well, I, remember, very I, had a, I was friendly with an FBI agent years ago, be actually uh, before I was in casting and we were hanging out one night and, you know, it was, it, I, I could tell it was right after September 11th. Mm. And he said something, I, I know I said something like, oh, is this a freaky thing? Like, did I, could anybody foreshadow this? And he said, by the time the public finds out, we've been on this for a long time, mm. right? And he said, I can tell you that this is, um, this is not going to go away in our lifetime. And I just remember being like, whoa, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I guess if you think about it, you know, by the time we hear news of something, They've been on this stuff for quite a while. Yeah. Makes sense. So it's, it's, yeah, it's creepy. Yeah. So, I mean, but through Homeland, I mean, we know this, but through Homeland, you are also casting other stuff too, right? Anything particular that you like, love, or, you know, comes to mind or something? Well, you've done a lot, obviously. Yeah. So I want to just focus on Homeland. <laughs> what do you mean? I have another life. You have um, so much more. <laughs> well, I, to be honest with you, Homeland was quite a beast. So I didn't have a whole lot of time to do things while I was doing Homeland. Right. But the great thing was when I was off, you know, when I was um, off season on, hi- on hiatus. Yeah. You know, I would do, I did, I, I did you know, a feature. I did a couple shorts. Um, and I taught a lot. I used that time in between because I really enjoyed teaching um, to, you know, teach in New York. I've, I've traveled to Europe and the Middle East. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's just kind of, and you know, I, I felt at that point, I didn't feel so desperate to just cast anything. You know, yeah. I really had to read a script and feel like I could, I believed in it. Um, you know, you like the team that you're going to be working with and, uh, you know, it was okay to say no to some. Yeah. What were some memorable theater projects? Because I was looking through your website and I was like, I was pretty impressed. I guess I didn't know the extent of the theater that you've cast. But I think you, I mean, for example, you did a one with Megan Mullally and uh, Nick Offerman, mm-hmm. right? Annapurna by Char White. And then there was another play with like Holly Hunter, I believe. I don't know. If I'm, I was surprised. I was going through your website and I was like, these are some credits I, I was not aware of. So <laughs> do you remember those? Yeah, I mean, well, we were, you know, Judy was the, you know, the cast director of the new group yeah. since inception. Um, so when I jumped on board, I think the first play we did was Aunt Dan and Lemon. And, you know, they just really grew. Um, yeah. It was attracting a lot of, you know, very well named people who wanted to, you know, play in the theater. Um, yeah. So uh, we were very lucky. Um that it got to a part point where 
you know, sometimes Scott Elliott would already say like, I've asked Holly to do this or I've, you know, and then yeah. we would flesh it out. Um, so yeah, so those were fun. But honestly, I think my favorite experience was doing The Boyfriend with Julie Andrews. And maybe because my music, you know, right. my music is my background. Um, and of course, I'm sitting there with a legend, literally. Oh my God. Um, and it was funny because I remember when Judy was introducing us and she said, um, she said, oh, he was an opera singer. And I was like, I was like, and, and <laughs> Julie was like, are you a soprano? And I was like, oh yeah, but just, you know, just, I mean, come on, it's, you know, it's Julie Andrews here, please. Um, that's how she started, right? She started an opera, right? I started reading her book and then I stopped I and know. I want to get back to it. She didn't start an opera? I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm pretty yeah, sure that sounds familiar to me where I'll have to look this up later and verify, but I have a feeling she started an opera. She's, a, you know, she was singing since she was a kid, but yeah. yeah. She's got the chops for it. So why, you know, why wouldn't she? But I don't know. You know, I can't. Yeah. 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 How was that experience though overall? Like that must've been so oh, she great. Was, she was so fun. And her ex-husband was our set designer Right. Um, so they were still on good terms. And I remember we were on a break and they were talking about their grandchildren and they were sort of joking with like, who has more pictures of the grandchildren or something like that. And oh. at one point she had said to him, she was like, Oh, fuck off. <laughs> and I like, I, I just was like, Whoa, Julie Andrews just said, fuck off. You know, like Mary Poppins just said, fuck off. <laughs> like it was just, it, you know, as a child, you grow up with these musicals and, you know, she's such an icon. And so you have this sort of like, you know, innocence attached to her. And so for her to just kind of come out with that was just like, whoa, she's a jarring. <laughs> but she was fun. I mean, she was, she was, she was very funny. Very funny. Awesome. That was good. Yeah. That sounds great. Cool. So, I mean, the other questions I had for you, obviously, and unless things come up, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about your classes, right? So you've been teaching this entire time, but you've also been teaching, like you sort of mentioned, for years and all over. I know you went to Israel not too long ago. I was so thrilled when you when you wrote that on Facebook. I wanted to talk a little bit about your classes because like I said in the beginning, I personally just got so much from it. And I, I tell people all the time things that I learned from that class. But yeah, I, tell me about teaching and tell me about like things you like about it. And then I guess we can talk about some of the things I've learned from you so people feel like they should take classes from you because I could talk about this forever. Thanks for the free promo. Yeah, no, I, I really, I didn't seek it out, which was, you know, I'd be in casting, you know, especially when we were doing a lot of commercial like voiceovers and stuff. And I would be giving, you know, an adjustment and somebody would say like, do you coach? You should coach. You should mm. teach. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And I, I'd send them to everybody else, you know. Wow. And, um, and then really it just got kind of inundating. And I thought, you know what, I'll just do a class and yeah. then be done with it. And so when I posted it, the class filled up and I was like, oh, okay. So I added another class. And then, then I would get people that, you know, would say, you know, I'm not really into voiceovers, but if you ever do an on-camera class, you know, let me know. And I was like, oh. Okay. And I, but I'd always send them to everybody else, you know? Yeah. And I just thought if I, you know, I have to really think about this. What, what could I bring that's unique? I just don't want to be another person saying yeah. the same things or whatever. I, I don't know. It just kind of evolved. And then I found that I really enjoyed it. And uh, then I and developed. You're really good at it. 
Well, thank you, ma'am. I think one of the things I wanted to definitely mention because it's, it's like a plug, but also I learned so much from it. So there's a couple things. First of all, you were one of the only casting directors back like a few years ago that I think did longer form classes. Like you did these three-week workshops. And I feel like at the time, there were some that did multiple, like a couple here and there, but you were the, I think like it was, it was this really great thing where I would tell people you get to know Kim and Kim gets to know you more as an actor as opposed to if you just did a one night intensive or a one night workshop. So I really appreciate that. But also you divided, and I don't know if you still do, you divided your classes into these three weeks where like the first week you would do prepared scenes, the second week you do cold readings and the third would be improvised. Mm -hmm. And I still tell people about the improvised stuff and I won't give away any of the stuff here because I'm sure you use some of the same statements, but you would really work with people and be like, I I forgot what the project was. Was it a final destination? thing or was it there was a project that you worked on as a film where you didn't get the script and so that you just had to ask activity. normal activity that one <laughs> and so you wouldn't get the script so you would just have to ask the actors these like open-ended things and just see what they did with them mm-hmm. and I it always stayed with me I was just like that's such a really great tool as an actor to be able to do yeah well and I think that's why I set up the three weeks there was a couple reasons why I did it because you know actors, you know, book out jobs. Like a lot of people can't commit to six weeks, you know, something yeah. opens up or they're sick or whatever. And I thought three weeks seems manageable. It's doable. Yeah. Right. Let's do the prepared scene, you know, like we normally would if you went to an audition, but then what about the cold read where you get that script last minute and then you got to figure this out. Right. And then I just felt like the natural segue was improvised because we go from preparing the scripted material to trusting, you know, focusing on the listening and then the improvised, that's all you got. The least prepared you can be. The least prepared you can be. And also by that time, like we've gotten to know each other. You're more comfortable. You're more open. And it's really about just kind of like letting everything go and like whatever comes to your mind, talk about it and, you know, be prepared, be prepared for a quick turn because that's life, you know? So we might get you on a groove and then I might throw, throw you off a little bit. Yeah. Can you come with me? And, and it, it was really, it's really revealing to me, how people are maneuvering through their own lives. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, you, I can always tell the person that's like trying to be creative and I'm like, just stop. Like now you're like yeah. over embellishing everything. You're trying to make it interesting. Just stop. Yeah. Right. Or sometimes I can tell if somebody, you know, has a problem with wanting to control everything because yeah. they'll try to control the dialogue. Yeah. I and I'm like, Very, yeah, I've done that. Do you know? What? Yeah. You know, you want to control everything. Like I said, the improv, you know, you want to be the person that says yes. You know, nothing more satisfying than you come into the room and you, you know, do your scene. And then I go, you know what, can we just try something? Like, can we just, let's just just play. That's what I say. Let us, let's play. And you've said that in the audition. I've seen you do that. Yeah. And so don't you love the actor that's like, yeah, fuck it. Let's try it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the person you want to work with. You know, when you get to somebody and you say, okay, so this is the direction I go, oh, well, I made this choice because of this. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, I've moved on. Come with me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, well, also, but, but we've talked about this. Also, there's some things that the client will tell you that contradicts whatever choice that they came up with. So sometimes it's like, let's play because I know more than you about this, that like something came in. So don't fight with me on it. Like just, just play. Right. I have more information. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not, I think people, I think actors and, and we've talked about, I think actors always feel, or a lot of actors feel like they did something wrong. And so they need to hold on to those original choices because it makes them right. And then you tell them, 
No, it's not that. I just, I just know more. Listen, I have a story for you. When I was a singer, um, I was auditioning for the Hartford Symphony. There was a solo in Mendelssohn Midsummer Night's Dream. And I knew a lot of the women that were auditioning for it. And, you know, we're all waiting our turns. And they would come out and they'd be like, oh, Maestro wants me to sing straight tone. I don't straight tone. I'm, a, I'm an opera singer. Mm. So I'm thinking to myself, what? Nobody was born with vibrato. You learn it. Like, it's all breath control. You know what I mean? You should yeah. be able to straight tone if you need to. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't think much of it. I went in, sang, and then the maestro asked me, you know, would you please sing this one passage in straight tone? And I was like, okay. So I did it. Finished. Um, fast forward. I got the, the gig. But he never asked me to straight tone. Mm. And I said to him, I'm just curious. You had everybody straight tone in the audition but you ultimately didn't ask me to straight tone. And he said, oh, I was just trying to see who was flexible. So my point being, be flexible. You know, we want you to come in and make those strong choices and, you know, be clear about your intention, about your character's want. But you also have to have a flexibility muscularly to be able to go anywhere else. Can we go a little this way? Can we go a little this way? If we need to. Right. Which is what's going to happen on set potentially. Yes. So, you know, be, don't be so rigid. You know, we're, we come in with, with so much in our headspace. I'm surprised anybody can execute <laughs> their scenes, you know, but it's the idea of like, just be open, you know, yeah. make the strong choices, but be prepared to go another way if we need to. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just giving you an adjustment to see if you're flexible. Yeah. I mean, the choice you made the first time was wrong. Yeah. You know, I, and I, I think about these things and I think about the stuff that we talk about a lot because, you know, specifically, I mean, it's, first of all, they teach you some of the stuff, some, you know, in school, like I've been trained on cold readings and improv, but like I said, it was different with you for many reasons with your instruction, but also that it was confined to like what it would be like in an audition setting, in a professional audition setting. And I booked something, I booked two things based on these. One was a cold reading. They gave me the, the scene right before I went in it was a pilot and I booked it. And the second thing was for crashing and it was improv, the improvised thing. Someone came out and told me, it was like a friend of mine. She was like, oh, they're going to have you improvise in the end. I was like, no problem. And I thought of your class. I don't know. I think it's just because it was based on just something similar. And I walked in and you, right away, they didn't tell you they were going to improvise. They just started it. And it reminded me of, of that class with you where you just you just start. You were like, oh, so what was it like when this and this and this happened? And I just, and that's what it kind of felt like. And it was just like, boom, they don't tell you, they just do it. And I booked that too. And I think both, I just really like in my head, thanked you. It's like, I do feel like those are skills that people need to continuously work on. I've I've taken your three week, I think twice. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do feel like those were things that directly related to the audition experience that they don't teach you in school. Yeah. Look, and, and you learn as you go, right? And yeah. you keep that muscle active, you know, even if you're not auditioning every week or whatever, you know, yeah. you're doing something every day towards your craft just to stay in shape, you know? Yeah. Singers I, do it. Singers take voice lessons. Why, oh, you know, sure. I, would is- never, I would never think to, to go on stage before, you know, uh, to sing a three hour opera and not warm up. I mean, that's just silly. Yeah. But, um, you know, what the, when you understand here again, back to the flexibility of being like, you want to be that kind of actor that, you know, can go 
and, and is open, you know, that yeah. we're not trying to judge. We're not, you know, I mean, I'm not bringing you in to be like, well, how can I mess with Michelle? You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, you know, we just, we just want to see uh, that openness and that yeah. flexibility, you know, that's going to, you know, give us options if we want to go this way or that way. Yeah. But, you know, coming in with your choices, you know? Yeah. No, that's I, still, I think, important. I think people need to come in with their choices and then be flexible. Yeah, like, don't be, you know, if you come in with the intention of trying to show me something you think I want to see, it doesn't work. I can, I can tell in a heartbeat. Yeah. Or if you're not clear, you know, if I ask you a question, you know, how, how long have they known each other? Or, you know, or, you know, what's your relationship to the other character? And they're like, well, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if it was this. And I was like, right. So I can tell mind, you weren't sure. <laughs> well, that's what I got. That was the intention of this. Like you didn't know. Yeah. So make a choice. I don't care if it's fabulously wrong. It's a choice. Right. Well, cause it could be one of those things where you just make it up. You're like, I've known this person for two weeks and that's when you go and it's very clear. It looks like they've just met. And then you politely say, Hey, actually, you know, I think that you kind of played it this way. Not wrong. You just didn't know that they've actually known each other for 10 years. Totally different. Doesn't right. say anything okay. about you. Exactly. Yeah. But on the other side too, if you're coming in, you know, to do a co-star, Oh yeah. I don't need a backstory. There is no backstory. Just do it. You are utility. You are helping move the piece along. Yeah. You know what I mean? As one of our writers said on Homeland, you're live wallpaper. Yeah. Don't overthink those roles. Your live wallpaper. (laughs) What's that? Your live wallpaper. That's so funny because that's how I used to think of background work. Nothing wrong with either background or co-stars, but that's how I used to think of background work. It was like live wallpaper. You're just like, but I guess co-stars too. It's just another step. You're you're addressing the set. Yeah. The lead guy that pulls over to the gas station in the Midwest and there's the guy, you know, the owner of it. Yeah. It's It's not the owner's story. Nope. The guy's just stopping in to get some ciggies. And you need to make, yeah, exactly. You just need to make that environment look real. If you walked into a gas station, no one was there. We'd notice that. Right. And so, so the opposite end is if you're not dealing with series regulars or guest stars, you know, with artists and you're, you're doing co-stars, just don't overthink it. Like there's that, let me show you all my colors in this one line. Like that's just say the line, you know, because at this point you're, if you're sitting in a reception area, when we used to for the same role, nobody looks like you. Okay. So it's going to, if, if they go, you know, with the guy instead of you, well, there's not a whole lot you could do about it. It doesn't mean you did a bad audition. Yeah. It means they were like, we really need a guy in the scene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you just got to yeah. do it and move on. Yeah. So we've already went over longer than I think any of my other interviews, by the by, um, just because I think I know you and I like you and obviously connect. And so it's hard to not, it's hard to stop. But I did have a couple questions um, that people asked me to ask. They didn't know that it was going to be you, but they knew it was going to be someone in casting. So someone asked, what is the best way for a post-grad to get out there to start like auditioning and being seen by people like you? Well, you know, uh, start exploring. Um, I mean, I would say continue to take classes. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important. And, you know, if, if you feel prepared and ready to present your work, you know, do some homework and look up some, you know, casting directors whose work you could see yourself on. You know, oh, yeah. gee, these guys do Law & Order. I, that's more my, my groove, you know, than waste your time trying to see everybody. Right. Or, you know, if, you're, if your forte is in comedy, then 
don't waste your time trying to put yourself in front of people that cast comedy, you know, you know, be strategic. Yeah. You know, put, put a little bit of money away each month for your craft. That's an investment, you know, and keep yourself active in some way. Yeah. Even if, even if it's just like, Oh, I met a bunch of other, you know, actors, um, we're going to get together and get a pizza on a Friday night. Of course, this is all, by the way, pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Virtually, you know, if you want to get together for a pizza. Yeah, re- you know, read a script together. Right. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many things you can do. It doesn't, not everything costs that, you know, money. No. But just the idea that don't think that, okay, school's done, ready to go. You still got to do the work. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. I don't like this question usually, so I'm not going to really. The question was, which agents do they consider? Do you consider submissions from? Um, so instead of that one, because I just feel like you're privately yeah, with people. Say. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but are there people that? Yeah, I don't want to even. Add, I, I think there's no way to even rephrase that, so it's not. Well, look, at it. it's my job to know what agencies represent what kind of actors, right? There are certain agencies that you know if you're looking for a future star, you're going to go to these people. If you're looking, oh, I'm casting music theater, who's got really good music theater performance, then I'm going to go to this agency. Yeah. Or who's the agency that's got really solid co-stars? I'm going to go to this agency. So that's how I would answer that question. Cool. That's a great, yeah, it's a great answer. I'm sure you get this all the time, but what are bad habits of actors that you most commonly see at auditions? Probably the same. Everybody's going to say, right? Um, making excuses. Mm. I don't know. Just see. I was going to say, I always like to frame it like, let me give you my favorite audition. Okay. Yeah. Which is, you come into the room. Yeah. I ask you if you have any questions. Uh, if you do, you know. Ask them. They're smart. You know, like, you know, I wasn't sure how long they've known each other or... Yeah you know, am I understanding this right or whatever? Um, or you say, I don't think so unless there's something you want to tell me. Yep. And I say, no, let's just hit the work. Cause a lot of times I don't like to adjust somebody. I want you to come in with your choices and then we'll, we'll play yeah. if we need. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If I give you too much information at the top, it might throw you. So, you know, and then I give you an adjustment slates. or I don't give you an adjustment. You taught me slates. Just say your name and roll and move on. Or just say what they ask you to say. Do not have a whole, hi, my name is. I don't say, hi, my name is anymore. I just say Michelle Simone Miller in the the role. Yeah, it feels confident, right? Like, if you're like, "Um, good afternoon, my name is Michelle. You know, I will be portraying the role. I'm like, we have, we have so. I can't, I can't. I got to hit the work, lady. (laughs) You know, same with self-tapes. It's like, and if you give that just, just your name and just the role or whatever it is, it, it just exudes a confidence. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. She's been doing this for a while. Like she knows yeah. how this goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I adjust you or I don't adjust you. And then I say, great, thank you so much. And then you leave. That's, That's my it. favorite audition. They did their job. Though I will say you're pretty, I mean, I, as a reader, as someone who's been a reader for you, you're really good at still talking to them. Like you really like to, like you love, like you're really just, you love actors. So there's, there's some actors where you're like, so how's the, how's the family? How's this? How's that? Yeah. But, but I think, well, because, I think the you know, point I've known, is made. Yeah. I've, you know, I've known these people for, you know, almost 20 years at this point or yeah. not quite 20, but you know, yes. so you, you, you're growing with them, right. Yeah. And in industry. And so, yeah, of course. And then sometimes if I can tell like somebody's just a little jarred or not quite settled, right. You know, just take that moment to just 
let them get to a place where I feel like they're relaxed and then we can hit the work. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I don't use that much time. I mean, I'm aware of my time, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't fall behind um, yeah. with each person, but I think it's an important part of the process. You know, yeah. I want you to trust me and trust that I want you to do your best work. Yeah. You know, we're in this together. It's a good point. I, I, I think the thing that I've learned most about, I mean, I've been a reader for various different offices, but I think one of the things I learned about from, from the experience of being a reader, which was very valuable, I recommend it to actors, but specifically that like there were some people who would come in and, and this is someone who I would get nervous a lot for auditions, um, especially at the beginning, but every once in a while. But I remember that like you'd see some people come in and they were good. Like they knew they, 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 they came in for a reason. Like they fit the role. You knew, you know, you could see why they would be good for that role. It's mm-hmm. not like you just bring in everybody for a particular thing and they were good. And I remember you would see how nervous they were. And there was almost something you just would want to say to them. I, I remember wanting to just say to them, listen, like, relax, like, you you have this, like you have this, like whether you get it or not, this is a great interpretation of the character, but you could see how like how much it physically it was affecting them. And you were just like, oh, my well, because everybody wants to work. Everybody wants to impress the casting director. Everybody wants to get the job. I mean, I get all of that. Yeah. But if you bring that in the room and that is what is taking up your headspace, you're not going to do your best work. No. So I, I would say this, you know, I wish I could tell my younger self, but if I could yeah, enjoy the process because you're going to be spend, spending the majority of, majority of your time auditioning. Yeah. So why not enjoy it? Just look at it as another opportunity to perform. Yeah. You know, because if you're putting all your eggs, like, oh, I'll get that job. You know what I mean? And yeah. And, you know, here again, I was a competitive singer, so I was already sick in the head. <laughs> but when I won, I won some money, you know, yeah. um, but you know, you, I, I would always get myself worked up. I have to be perfect. I have to be, you know, and, and it really can hurt you when you do that. <clears throat> and I think the first time I realized it was actually one of the last auditions I had, I was standing on the Chicago Lyric Opera stage and I had been there three days coaching with everybody. We went up in front of the adjudicators and we got to pick our first aria and then they would let us know the second aria that they would have us sing. Well, the person I was coaching with, you know, we had my list of seven arias and um, he's like, well, it, you choose this one and they'll probably choose one of these. Mm. Okay. So I had that in my head. And when I finished my first aria and I, the stage manager said they want to, wanted me to sing this other one, which was not what we talked about. <laughs> I was kind of like, huh? And I, so this, this particular aria was like seven minutes in length. It was an aria wow. cabaletta. And so I said, oh, well, do they all just want the aria or the cabaletta? And the guy said they want the whole thing. And I was like, okay. And I remember I walked into my dressing room and I was like, you know what? You may never sing on this stage again. Just have fun. Fuck wow. it. Doesn't even matter anymore. Doesn't even matter if I get in or not. And I went in and I kicked ass. Now, I didn't get in the program because of the way it was set up. They do a two-year, and there was a lot of first years. I think they do it every year, audition, just in case somebody doesn't work out, they have an out. Yeah. Um, And so that particular year, there was only one opening. It was for a baritone. So none of us got in but one baritone. 
But anyway, I didn't care. Like, and I thought, why wasn't I doing this the whole time in my career? (laughs) You know? So I think that's why I find it really important when I'm working with actors to be like, I've been there. I know how you feel. Like, don't worry. This shouldn't be scary. You know, let's just have fun. Let's have fun. Because if you do a good job, that makes my job easier. I'll get hired again by these people, you know, like it's, you have to understand that we need each other. I can't do my job without you guys and you can't do yours without me. So, you know, we're on the same team. It's true. Last question. Uh, Anything going on right now? You know, I mean, now that like, I know some things are picking up, some things are just not going to right away, you know, anything coming up? I think things are slowly starting to come up. I mean, I did cast a role for a pilot that had shot out already um, that was end of July. So, I mean, I, I did that. I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of reading a couple scripts that are, you know, sitting, waiting to be picked up. So it, it just, it feels kind of like, well, can you read it? And if you know, we get the green light, you know, we'll take it from there. Yeah. I mean, I think people want to get back as best as possible. Um, but I think it's going to be like a slow rollout. Yeah. I would, I, I, I mean, I can pretty much say, you know, 2020s, you know, Forget about it. Yeah. I mean, in terms of, you know, when we're going to feel yeah. normal again, I think yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's going to take, because, you know, now sort of, sort of the crossroads we're dealing with is these, you know, the, the COVID testing, um, you know, I ran into issues because SAG-AFTRA requires you to get it no sooner than 48 hours before you shoot. But a lot of these testing sites aren't going to give results till yeah. five days after. Yep. So that's just like a new obstacle we have to work around. Wow. Um, but, you know, you know, Tyler Perry's, you know, doing his stuff down yeah. now, you know, but he can afford to, you know, do a coat, you know, yeah, have everyone quarantine on campus, essentially. Yeah. What's going to happen? You know, you know, a lot of it's just going to depend on people's budgets. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm just going to, you know. I just, we just have to ride out the storm, I guess. I think so too. That's what I talked to other actors about. I'm like, I think we just have to ride this out. Yeah. Isn't it ironic though? It's 2020. Hindsight. Hindsight is 2020. It also means perfect vision. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) But I mean, you know, looking back and I'm like, you know, this is, this is a time right now we're going to, you know, and one of the things about doing what we do is as artists, you know, we learn how to pivot. We just find other ways to, you know, work our creativity, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I'm in some ways looking forward to what comes out of this. I can't, I am too, actually. All right. But thank you so much, Kim. You're wonderful. And uh, where can people find you and find your classes? Uh, well, probably, you know, if you're not a follower on Facebook, uh, it's Kimberly Graham. Um, you can follow me there. I post individual classes there right now. If you are interested in my multi-week, you can sign up to get notifications at my website, which is KimberlyGraham. Yeah. Get on the mailing list guys. That's where, that's where you hear about all the, the multi-weeks. Yeah. I'm just trying to keep them separate for now. Okay. Um, you know, I'm trying to figure out a, a, an easier way to sort of consolidate all this because it's a lot of administrative on my yeah. end that I don't think I need to do all the things that I'm doing. So Good, yeah, somebody hopefully to consolidate put together, make it easier. So put, put out a call on Facebook. I'm sure there's an actor who also does that on the side who would be like, oh, I yeah. can do it. I can help you. I can help you. That's what I love about actors. I'll be like, who knows how to fix computers or who <laughs> they're like, I got it. They're like, I'm a professional computer fixer on the side. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. 
Thanks, Kim. Have a wonderful day and we'll talk soon. All right, honey. Bye. Bye. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode and I really appreciate everyone listening in every week. The numbers are growing and you guys are being so supportive. Thank you for reviewing on Apple Podcasts. We have one review I'm going to read for you, Maddie95, beyond informational, best place to come for help. If you're looking for a mentor, if you're looking for the real ins and outs of the entertainment industry, this is the place to be. You learn so much, not just from Michelle Simone Miller, but she has the most amazing guests on her podcast. You get so much valuable information and always learn something new from each episode. It will change your life. So if you're serious about your career and changing your life, this is the place to be. Thank you so much, Maddie. I really appreciate it. If you haven't yet, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a difference. And I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Mentors on the Mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend you know would love it. Let me know what you learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram, at Mentors on the Mic. I will be sharing even more information about our mentors there. These are crazy times, and now more than ever, it's so important to connect. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating on iTunes. Every week I'm choosing a review to read on an episode. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. Thanks. 